Great. So let's just start with kind of a softball here. What, sure. Uh, what brought you the most energy from today's conversation? What resonated with you the most? You know, the thing that always makes me so optimistic about Nebraska is we're two degrees of separation from everybody else. Uh, in Nebraska, we can make things work. And we can make things work because we have the opportunity to know one another and understand where one another are coming from. So I always think getting together with, with people just to talk this through and understand is the thing that gives me the greatest hope that Nebraska is a terrific place and we can continue to make it a terrific place. So when you, uh, you said to talk about this, mm -hmm. uh, pretend I wasn't here, um, tell me what you talked about today. Sure, it's uh, the future of rural communities and the future of Nebraska. Um, I grew up in a small town, I grew up in Red Cloud. I went to kindergarten with 23, I graduated with 23, I got to do everything. And I think because I got to do everything from sports to activities to being the lead in the musical to riding my horse in the 4-H horse shows, um, that really gave me a flavor and a perspective that helped me as an adult. It, it really gave me the opportunity to experience lots of different things and decide who I am and who I want to be and what are the things I might have the opportunity to give back to make a better world. Um, what, what conversation from this morning would you like to dig into more? Which, what, what's one that you think uh, kind of caught your attention? I think, it's, I think it's the one that I just started with, which is the idea that with technology, what we may need to do with educational systems is have not just smaller classrooms, but smaller schools. Uh, so we not only don't have kids falling through the cracks, but we truly have kids having the opportunity to experience lots of different things, try lots of different things, because with technology being able to do all these things for us, and with the advent of automation and how many jobs are disappearing because of automation, I truly don't know what the future looks like. But I'm certain that we're going to have to approach the future very differently than we have the past. Um, so we just may need to go back to smaller systems, more intimate settings, so we can get the best out of people. Um, talk to me about the future. We talked about strategic foresight this morning. Can you mm -hmm. define that for me from your perspective? Uh, so my 12-year-old is a seventh grader. Uh, clearly half of the jobs that he will experience as a young adult haven't been invented yet. I mean, this whole idea of talking about the future is just mind-blowing. Uh, I've read that science fiction writers are having an incredibly hard time coming up with new stuff because so many of the things we've been writing science fiction about for the last 50 years are actually happening. So envisioning the future is really hard, so the things that we've really focused on through the work of the Nebraska Community Foundation are the three C's of achievement their capacity, competence, and confidence. And if we can help each and every individual, each and every community, each and every group of people to really define how they can have capacity, competence, and confidence in their path forward, uh, people are really able to approach things from a view of abundance, not scarcity, optimism, not fear, and that's how we're gonna create the future together. 
but what do you think are some trends in the next five, 10 years that are going to influence, influence your work? And when I say your work, I really mean how you, really from the community perspective mm -hmm. um, and how communities can find their way forward. Well, I think there's, there's lots of things that are affecting us these days. Uh, certainly climate change is a, is a big issue. Uh, and we're gonna have to continue to, to deal with that. Population growth on a global scale is something we're gonna have to deal with. Certainly, uh, how do we connect people back to their place and their sources of protein and their sources of meeting? So, you know, all of these things are things that rural has in spades. We have a pretty good sense of how things work. We use a lot of good common sense. Uh, and we're able to deliberate things in small enough groups that people feel like they have ownership and influence over the decisions. So going forward in this technologically connected world, I'm actually really optimistic that we can go back to doing things in uh, smaller, more intimate settings as opposed to the anonymity of the suburbs. So you talk about the two degrees of separation in, in Nebraska, but talk to me about that in terms of this rural-urban, what I would like to call collaboration, mm -hmm. and, uh, from your perspective. Um, so one of my five strengths is ideation. I love, I love to think about ideas. I love to think about the future. Uh, probably the most profound professional development I've had in the past 10 years is to really determine that ideas don't change the world people do. And the only way that change happens, and certainly the only way change sticks, is through relationships and trust. So that's why the two degrees of separation is so incredibly important, because you have to know people before you can build a relationship with them. You have to build a relationship with them before you can have a trusting relationship with them. And we're gonna have to hold hands and just take some risks, and the more we do those together, the better off we'll be. Can you say that last? Do you agree with that? The more that urban and rural collaborate, the better off we'll be. Would you feel comfortable? Uh, I just, I just think it's a people thing. I think we, um, I don't, I don't talk about the urban-rural divide. That's what I'm trying. Um, right, I'm trying to, yeah. I want, I want us to come out against okay. that. Right. So okay. That's what I'm trying. To uh, so, all right. So I'll just start from there. Thank okay. You. <laughs> um, so I don't think about our work in Nebraska as urban or rural. I think about all of our work from a community perspective. So it's all individually led, it's all community led, and then it's all demand driven. So how do we help communities be attractive to the people that want to live and work there? Uh, there's so many systems that we have that are sort of supply side systems, and we think we can make people do things. Well, the amazing part about America is the American dream is being able to have choice. And in Nebraska, lots and lots of people have lots and lots of choices. We want people to choose us. We want people to choose their hometowns. We want people to choose the places where they're gonna feel most honored, most respected, and have the happiest lives they can. Because the more people do that, the more other people wanna be a part of that. Uh, so I'm, I just always think about this within the context of attraction, asset-based, abundance, optimism and within those sort of factors then we'll figure out how to to manage and shape the future 
tell me tell me how you feel and you know this I, I mean we'll see kind of see what the notes say too um, but from the conversations this morning did you feel a sense of a path forward for the fellows that maybe you did or didn't have coming into today um, yeah uh, the fellows that have been assembled here are amazing people and I think certainly one of the things that's been said over and over is nobody's here for themselves everybody's here to pay it forward and that's a truly generative system and that is how we we create the path forward is we're we're willing to give of ourselves and just and just pay it forward so just the opportunity to sit down and talk with people understand commonalities understand differences understand perspectives those are always things that help each and every one of us to have greater understanding and I think that's one of the things that society in general really uh, rebels against is being told what to do as opposed to being given choices for these are the things we can do if in fact this is where our, our energy and resources will take us. Paul, that you brought up this choices theme. One of the others brought up that the choice mm -hmm. element of it too. Almost an overlap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. Um, so what of what you heard today translates into your work, or there might be a few things, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, you talked about how earlier, or yesterday you were saying how, or just that you don't really see yourself as this is my professional work and this is my personal work, mm -hmm. or this is my fellow's work versus this is my um, MCF work. So tell me what you're going to bring forward out of today, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh what am I bringing forward and, and what is this? Uh, conversations like today, especially conversations like this morning, charge my batteries. So that's, that's the first thing, is just the opportunity to get together with other people who care and other people who are thinking deeply about their own future and others' futures, that's energizing. So that in and of itself is wonderful. Uh, the icing on the cake is to really get to talk about deeply important things. I mean, how are we going to continue to have a healthcare system and how do we help that healthcare system evolve from healthcare to wellness? How do we continue to uh, produce food and fiber and how do we connect that food and fiber between the people that grow it and the people that consume it? How do we really help kids understand how profoundly lucky they are to get to grow up here? And we're only going to do that by willing, being willing to be a little less Midwestern <laughs> and a little less humble and a little less, and I guess a few uh, fewer assumptions. We can't assume that people know. We, we have to help them understand. And, and we need to start that with every little kid as soon as we possibly can to have them have experiences that really connect them to their hometown and really connect them to Nebraska because that's the attractor. I mean, the reason my wife and I are raising our kids here is because our families are here and we determined our futures here because we don't want to be off in some, some other place. We want to be connected. And I think more and more, especially people with options, are looking for meaning. So how do we connect people that are looking for meaning with their hometowns. Okay, so give me, let's do the elevator pitch.
concept real quick. So okay. I'm, I never have one. I'm, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm tech CEO. Tell me why, why I should care about rural and why I should care right now. Um, why do I care about rural? Well, this is where your food, water, and energy come from and will continue to come from. So rural and keeping rural vibrant is extraordinarily important. Uh, the second thing about rural, especially with rural Nebraska, is everything and everybody works. And if you look around the rest of this country or certainly around the globe, you can't say that very many places. We have a really civil society, really good people. People have a great work ethic. We have an excellent public school system. People should really embrace our abundance. People should really be grateful for our blessings. And, you know, I'm not honestly concerned about that tech CEO. I'm concerned about my friends and my friends' kids being proud and feeling like they have an honored future being here with us. Cool. That's it. All right. We just need you to introduce yourself, say your okay. name and job title. Keep talking to Caitlin, even if she's not here. Sure. I'll just talk to the glass. Do it. Um, and just do it. Give it to me twice. Okay. Hi, I'm Jeff Yostin, president. Uh, I'll do it again. Yeah. Hi. Uh, and look over here. Okay. Thanks. That would be helpful. Yeah. I know it's hard. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Hi, I'm Jeff Yost. I'm president and CEO of the Nebraska Community Foundation. One more time. One more time. Hi, I'm Jeff Yost, president and CEO of the Nebraska Community Foundation. The panel discussion is good too, but I guess what what gave you the most energy today from the conversations you've had with the other fellows? So what I'm the most interested in being a Rural Futures Fellow is to determine the most effective way that I and the consultants at the Nebraska Business Development Center can be helpful to the purpose and mission of rural futures. We at the Nebraska Business Development Center work all across the state, and so we work in rural areas across Nebraska. Our staff members know the importance of rural community and in and, and economic development for rural areas. Without that, those communities will struggle to survive. And so our role primarily through our services, is to help start and grow and develop business. And how does that match, how does that mission match up with the, the broader mission of Rural Futures? So I'm excited to be here and to gain an understanding of how we can be the most help to this broader mission. Great, great. And was there anything that resonated with you today of like, oh, okay, that's a that's somewhere where I see us fitting in, or that really I could apply that to my work, that cut that theme or concept, or maybe it's still just a question in your mind. Is there anything that really resonated with you of that would fulfill something in my work? So as I was listening to Chuck talk about the strategic uh, plan of rural futures and thinking about what really is a very broad mission, what I was looking for and what came out of the conversation was ideas that are a bit more concrete than that broad mission, a bit more concrete and then how 
how would or how might the Nebraska Business Development Center be part of that. The other thing that was so interesting to me in this room of people and with the fellows is thinking about the, the breadth of assets that the University of Nebraska has and the work that these individuals and these programs are doing in rural Nebraska and the value add that is being brought to the rural communities, how do we better tell, and we heard this in the panel, how do we better tell the story of that return on investment of the university back to all of our communities across the state? And so I was really energized by that because it made me think of very specific situations where our staff, our consultants at NBDC are doing exactly that. So how do we all together better tell that story? Great. And tell me, okay, so we talked with st about strategic foresight. So can you give me your, your definition of strategic foresight? So I probably don't have as long a vision as we talked about today. So when they talked about 40 years out, I thought, oh my, that's I'm a very looking, I always think like 5, 10, 15. I'm in, I'm in the shorter <laughs> time frame as well. But what, what I wondered is, is how will we measure the progress that Rural Futures has made? I don't think we got into that today. Uh, but I think the, the question that I would ask is, how are we going to figure out that in fact we did make a difference? And I think that the fellows program is so interesting because it is tapping into, at least at first, the assets of the university, but also other higher education institutions, and particularly because it's the part that it, where I fit in is those community assets. And how do we all come together to help develop um, an opportunity for and I'll be selfish here, for the university to be able to really meet the needs of our rural communities. Um, okay. I know you guys are going to edit the heck out of this, right? What, this is not one long stream. Okay. <laughs> what conversation would you like to dig into more from this morning that you feel like, oh, I want to talk more about? I think for me, I want some very concrete, pro, um, what I'm interested in is, is concrete um, issues that we can dive in together collectively. So the conversation that we're now having here at the end of the day that are focused on areas where we have interest, I'm sitting in on the one of business transition, which is a real issue for our communities across the state and to allow each fellow to sort of select the areas that they are most interested in where they can either bring their resources or their passion to bear on that issue. And then from that, okay, how, what do we do with that issue? How do we help address that issue? How do we work with our communities on that issue together? It will not be a top-down, it will not be a university-down approach. It needs to be a collective approach uh, with our communities across the state. And so I'm excited about how we work towards those sorts of things with the fellows. From your perspective and, and your area of expertise, what are the biggest issues facing rural so for us, what we look at and, and what we focus all of our energy on is, is business starts, business growth, 
and in, in so many of our communities business transition and how can we help sustain that economic engine that is so vital to the rural part of our state to the rural communities of our state and and for us at NBDC how can we help with that and now for me being a fellow how can I bring that information forward to share with the other fellows and find perhaps other partners other programs that we can work with, um, or uh, the academic um, depth and knowledge that could maybe help inform how we do our work. Can you give me some breakdown of numbers off the top of your head of the, that economic across so if I, I had my web, if I had my website and I could launch it and I could tell you what our economic impact is, it'd be great. Um, we ha so what I would say is the, the Nebraska Business Development Center publishes annually its uh, number of clients served, the amount of investment that's been made uh, with our clients, and ultimately then our economic impact to Nebraska. And we publish that each and every year. Are you leaving today with questions? So I think my biggest question is how do I plug in mm -hmm. and ultimately make a difference within the vision of rural futures? Yeah, I think that's all of our question. Like what does that what does that really tangibly look yes. like? I'm with you. Like I feel that <laughs> just like our conversation. Yes, who's, our who's our customer? <laughs> who's yeah, our customer? Exactly. Okay, um, um, I can get you to grab an intro, so just say your name and your job title. Oh. And kind of why you're here today, and tell Caitlin. Okay, I, I, am I telling Caitlin? Okay, correct, because I really don't want to look at the camera. No. no. We don't <laughs> Do it twice. Yeah. Oh, twice? Yeah. Okay, I'm Kathy Lang. I am the State Director of the Nebraska Business Development Center at UNO, but we serve the entire state of Nebraska. And can you say, when you say it the second time, at the University of Nebraska at UNO? Oh, yes. I did say UNO, didn't I? Yes. Acronyms. Okay. I'm Kathy Lang. I'm the State Director of the Nebraska Business Development Center. We are based at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, but we serve the entire state of Nebraska. Okay. I want to do the elevator pitch one. Um, answering that big question, why rural, why now? Oh, yeah? So, Do I have to remember what I said? Um, you don't have to say exactly what you said earlier. Didn't you, you remind me? I know, I did. I went first. What did I Which say? Which is why I was like, oh, that's what you need to put around. Oh, so, so why rural, why now? Okay, yeah, I remember what I said. Okay. Yeah, so Kathy, why rural, why now? Why rural, why now? For the state of Nebraska, the success and growth of the rural part of our state is absolutely necessary for the entire growth of the state of Nebraska. Without rural growth and rural development, Nebraska will not be successful. Okay, can you say that again? Why rural, why now? So why rural, why now? The success of the state of Nebraska is dependent on the economic viability of our entire state and it is critical that we focus and are mindful of the growth and development of rural Nebraska. Without the growth and development of rural Nebraska, Nebraska will not be economically successful.
going to just kind of talk about the day a little bit and then kind of what you gleaned from the day. So what gave you the most energy from the conversations that you had today? Probably the most energy uh, today uh, for me was the discussion around uh, rural uh, a sense of place and people looking for meaning, uh, searching for meaning in their lives and a lot of that coming from uh, residing in a rural, play, a rural community and participating in activities that you could only participate in in a rural community. Uh, small education classes for children, uh, healthy food that they grow in their backyard, um, um, good health care uh, given by professionals that you know personally. Uh, various things that can only happen in a rural community that was, tend to give uh, real meaning to life. And tell me, um, digging that, into that a little bit more, I mean, did, why did that resonate with you, especially um, considering your role at the hospital? And it, it, do you see that kind of going hand in hand with how healthcare is changing and having to adapt? Well, having grown up in a rural community and lived in a rural community, when I saw the, uh, the big question of the day, uh, why rural, why now? I think I am been so involved in rural for so many years that it was almost like not being able to see the forest for the trees. Uh, you know, my first thought was, well, why not rural? Well, not everyone understands stands rural the way I do and that does not come from it come to it from that perspective so I think that was what enlightened me was I needed to answer for myself that question why rural and I think uh, living in a place that gives meaning to life uh, really answered that question for me so the why now factor, I mm -hmm. mean, obviously healthcare um, access, and I think Chuck kind of, someone mentioned this briefly, but I am watching kind of the numbers in terms of the rural narrative more on a national level. What are some of the biggest publications and news outlets covering? Right. The biggest is the urban-rural divide, um, but the next is access to healthcare Absolutely. in rural settings. So talk to me a little bit about your perspective on this access question. Um, and what, coming from the frame of what, why should I care if I don't live there? Uh, it's a very interesting question and why now is, is, a, is very appropriate I think at this time uh, because I think it, it, it has become mission critical in a lot of small rural communities. Uh, Health care is important to maintaining the economic viability as well as the health integrity of those populations. Uh, I've visited with people and they say the biggest things that drive economic development are health care and education. And so if, if the community loses either one of those, uh, they're, they're uh, prone to be a, see a big decline in their uh, economic development and, uh, and of course once that spiral starts, it's, it's uh, kind of like circling the drain. I mean, things are, are going downhill fast. Um, the healthcare system, the way it is uh, reimbursed today, is uh, 
essentially based on uh, volumes. And we all know that rural uh, populations are declining. So it is becoming harder and harder to maintain those volumes, which makes keeping a hospital viable uh, much more difficult. Uh, margins become thinner. It's hard to maintain competencies, which means that the quality of care provided in some of those very small communities goes down. Uh, we have to do something to prop some of these communities up and provide care when they cannot sustain uh, a full-blown hospital. How does technology factor into this? I mean, technology in healthcare is very lucrative right now. So, I mean, uh, but how how do you, how does that play in? Technology is both a good thing and a bad thing for these small hospitals uh, and in rural communities. It is a good thing in that uh, a lot of uh, telemedicine uh, allows us to do things in rural communities that could not be done there before because it can be done by a provider, say Lincoln or Omaha. Uh, they do not have to travel to the rural community to provide the, the, the care. They can actually do it through uh, interactive uh, technology. It's a negative thing when Rural communities are, rural hospitals, I should say, are forced to purchase uh, very expensive technology that has a very short life expectancy uh, in order to maintain, maintain their competitiveness. Uh, without the purchase, if they did not have to purchase the, the technology, I mean, they'd, they'd be, uh, the financial viability would be a lot better. So the high touch, high tech, concept that RFI has and is now mm -hmm. um, Talk to me about, how, does that resonate with you, high touch, high tech, and if so, how so? Absolutely, it resonates with me. Uh, I totally agree with the high touch, uh, high tech uh, concept. Um, we have been working with that in healthcare for years. Uh, we have had, we have uh, I've been a big proponent of, of the technology, but the technology is merely a tool to take uh, to reach the end of patient better, better patient care. If technology is the is our end goal, let me back up. I have always said that if you install technology for technology's sake alone, it will fail. Technology is a tool, and you need to answer the why. In other words, what is your ultimate goal that you hope to achieve with that technology? When we installed technology at our hospital, we wanted to improve quality, improve patient safety. Since technology was not the end goal, but quality and patient safety were the end goals, you fight through the problems with the technology that would probably have caused you to, to fail if technology had been the, the end uh, goal. You'll fight through those, those uh, problems to achieve your ultimate goal of better quality and better patient care. So that requires the high tech is the, is the technology, the high touch is the patient care, the improved quality, the improved safety that is a result of that technology. Can you say that again? Would you mind if you agree with this statement? Can you say high tech is the tool, high touch is the why? Oh, I like that. 
because I think that's kind of what you're trying to say. High tech is the tool, high touch is the why. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, Good. Okay. Um, let's talk about, um, I don't know, strategic foresight. So we wrapped that up today. So can you define that for me from your perspective? What is strategic foresight? I think uh, strategic foresight is, is looking at the tea leaves or whatever, uh, whatever you use to... Uh, to view the future uh, and determine where you need to go to stay ahead of the changing dynamics uh, in your field of endeavor. To stay ahead of the changing dynamics, yep, I like that. Um, can you say, to me, strategic foresight is your plan to stay ahead of the changing dynamics? To me, uh, strategic foresight is staying ahead of the uh, changing dynamics uh, in your field in your field of, of endeavor. Yeah, I won't let you say it again because I'm not sure that that's quite <laughs> what I was going for. You probably said it better the first time. Um, let's see. Um, can we grab that? Where you just say your name, your job description. Oh, sure. Yeah. Tell her name and job description, and you can tell me mm -hmm. title and yeah. I My name is Marty Fadig, and I am the CEO of Nemaha County Hospital, Auburn, Nebraska, in the southeast corner of the state. A small 20 or 16 bed critical access hospital. My name is Marty Fadig, and I am the CEO of Nemaha County Hospital in Auburn, Nebraska a 16-bed critical access hospital located in the southeast corner of the state. How did you answer the question earlier, what is strategic foresight? Well, uh, in, in, in our, in our uh, uh, discussion, uh, one of the things that, that we liked about strategic foresight is we, we really felt that to a person, people that are at, at this uh, uh, session have that kind of perspective, the, the ability to, to, to look at what, what is uh, the strength of a community, the strength, strength of an area, what, what are its assets, what, what, what are the, the things that, that make this, this community uh, work and to be viable, and to take those in and how can we adjust those to, a, to an ever-changing future. And so I think strategically positioning yourself, these are, these are the things that, that that, that are our strengths, how can we take these and move and move progressively to the future? So uh, I, I think those of us that, that uh, work in this field uh, share that kind of, of value, I think. Perfect, perfect. So can you tell me, um, Kayla charged you guys with coming up with a, to a short pitch. So if, if I was Tim Cook from Microsoft, why, why rural? Why now? Why should he invest okay. there? Why should he care? That's a that's a that's a great a, a great question. Uh, how and and I, I reflected a, a, a bit on this and 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 my approach, uh, and and I study in in, a, in a, another hat I wear. I'm the director of the urban studies program at at UNO, and so I'm I'm able to look at rural. I look at urban, and and and, and can make this kind of a kind of comparison. Everybody does not want to live in, uh, in the term that I use, 
Greenwich Village in New York. I've been to Greenwich Village. It's a wonderful place to visit. I do not want to live there. Okay, and 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 I I think other people share that. People that that, that live in in small communities, it's it's a it's a it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that 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 that. Uh, 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 that is important to, to, to many people, not to everybody, but, but, but it's important to, to, to many people. And so it's a, it's a lifestyle choice. And I, and I, and I think what, what RFI needs to be able to do is to ensure that that lifestyle choice is still there. Okay, it's, 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 still, it's still an option for people uh, uh, that, that this is something that they choose to live in a smaller uh, community for all the sorts of things that, that, that it provides to uh, individuals that, that they have the ability to make that choice. And so uh, I think that's important. Uh, and, and I'm optimistic about the future of, of rural communities. And, 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 and I think that the way that we interact with each other uh, now, compared to say 30, 30 years or so, it's, it's really changed, and I and I think that bodes well for rural communities because uh, they, they 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 can get on the internet, they can buy things, they can they can have a, a Skype conferences. People can have 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 a very viable business in in a small community. They don't have to have an office in in a in a downtown area of a of of, of a major community. So I I, I think. Technology, communication, and interaction, I think, is, is, is something that uh, is going to enable people to, uh, uh, to live in smaller communities if that's their choice. And so I think RFI uh, is doing work to help uh, maintain that choice, and I think it's important, not just in Nebraska, but in, in, in the United States. So talk to me more about your the two hats you wear. Um, I, I often forget that the director of the urban studies program. So with the conversation, I mean the rural narrative or the rural urban narrative right now is not positive. No. So what? Do you, give me your two cents on that. Okay. Uh, what's interesting about 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 rural uh, looking at rural areas is that that. that a number of the smaller uh, communities, the challenges that they have, and the sort of things that uh, that, that that they're dealing with, is very similar to to what's happening in in uh, distressed urban areas, and 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 you're seeing uh, disinvestment, and you're seeing people leaving, and you're and and you're seeing uh, uh, infrastructure that's not that's not being used, and so there's really. Uh, more um, more uh, uh, commonalities between rural areas and, and, and urban areas and 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 urban and and the urban areas the sort of things that we think about the the urban problems and the social issues and the economic issues uh, uh, they're very similar to to many many uh, rural communities uh, in terms of sort of things they're dealing with so there's there's really more similarities than differences in my opinion in terms of of, of uh, Rural, the rural, the, the quote rural uh, urban uh, differences. I, I, I think that uh, uh, that one of the things that we can do is is get people that are dealing with community a place, and that community a place can be a rural area or it can be an urban neighborhood. And so there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of energy in terms of community development. I think that that, that there's more common uh, interests than maybe uh, uh, differences, in my opinion. Okay, really. Community development is is uh, the process of where people, with assistance, with with uh, uh, co collaboration with technical experts and and, and other folks, uh, to help people in an area define their future, define and address issues that 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 have a challenge. These communities have assets, both rural and and urban, and and there are similarities between the challenges of urban and rural issues, and I think community development applies to both urban and, and rural areas. Okay. And so there's things that can be done. So exchanging ideas. So it's not just 
maybe small communities exchanging ideas, urban neighborhoods. Bring them into this picture. You want me to do an introduction? Just yeah, just like saying your name, kind of your job title, why sure. you're here today, that sort of thing. Yeah, University yeah. of Reading now? Okay. Omaha. Now? Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, my name, I'm Robert Blair. I'm a professor of public administration and urban studies at the Univers University of Nebraska at Omaha, and I've been there uh, for 20 plus years. Okay, so we talked about, uh, I don't know that we really got super into this, so I might catch you, catch you a little off guard, but partnership-wise, I mean, especially wearing your hat of urban renewal, what are some maybe creative, even provocative partnerships that we could think about or tap into? I mean, from your perspective, what, or what, are, what are ones that exist that are really cool that don't get noticed, I guess? Okay, uh, in urban neighborhoods there there are thing there are organizations called community development corporations and these are uh, citizen-based community-based organizations that that empower themselves to deal with with urban related issues community development corporations they tend to be very urban oriented this the, these are uh, entities that, that we could help create and facilitate in rural areas uh, I, I'm, I firmly believe that that, that community-based organizations have a, have a significant role. Neighborhood associations, community development corporations, uh, community-based organizations is what, what we refer to in community development. And I think those are things that, that we can do over and above, and these organizations can complement cities, chamber of commerce, other sort of entities that are, that are uh, at the local level. Citizen-based organizations are community-based. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. um, coming out of this morning's discussion, what questions do you have? I mean, what are the questions that the questions that that I have, and 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 I and I see uh, the uh, fellows as being stakeholders in 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 rural Nebraska and rural areas, and who are the stakeholders that are not here? I think the university is well well represented. I'm looking at the list of the community organizations, and I've and I saw about five or six communities. I think there's a lot more we can have. I think that dialogue needs to include more communities, city managers, economic development, economic development directors, uh, community development directors, other people that are working at the local level. We've we've tapped in on a couple of them. It's a big group out there. That I think I would think it's important to bring into the into the into the fold into this discussion. Okay, last question is, um, what what do you feel, do you feel that there's any, been any sort of consensus between the fellows about what their role needs to be going forward? Well, I, I think the, the, the consensus is that the fellows need to be more uh, uh, proactive in terms of going out in, in, and engaging with, with communities is, is that we, uh, especially among faculty members, I think an, an, an issue is, uh, what kind of reward system do we have at, at the university to help uh, to help uh, encourage uh, community engagement? And there really is not a lot at the at the university level. Focuses on teaching, focuses on research. 
third is community engagement. So uh, I, I think the consensus is how can we uh, engage uh, more faculty in this thing, not only research, but also uh, people who are focused on uh, uh, pulling community leaders in, into, this, into this process. Tell me from this morning so far, what's giving you the most energy today? The energy comes about from having so many varied community partners and uh, other academia, ac academicians. Let's, let's just skip that academics. part. Academics. Um, other community partners and other like-minded faculty in the same room discussing issues that we're passionate about. Can you kind of rip off um, what was going, uh, what was being said earlier? I mean, do you agree with what Todd was saying that um, they're, the people here are here because they, or they're not here for themselves? Do you yeah. agree? Oh, do yeah. you agree yes, with that? Yes, definitely. This, this in and of itself is not going to get me tenure, actually. And I'm, I'm actually fortunate to have tenure and be a full-time professor. Um, and what's, what's tragic about academia is that you kind of have to put what you're passionate about on hold until you have tenure. And then you can actually work on what you care about because there is the pressure to publish and to present and to, to get on the treadmill and to pursue the big grants. And so once you have that and once you're secure, then you can go back to what you really care about and uh, make things work that way. So what do you care about? Why are you here? Because I can't say no to Chuck. <laughs> That's okay. uh, I, I'm very fortunate. I was born rural. Uh, I've lived rural, and then I went to the military, and then did this whole academic route. Um, I've been in highly urban, metropolitan, populated areas, so I've seen that, and it, it's comforting to come back to a rural area. And I remember when I was hired, they kept asking me, "Can you do this?" And I was wondering, what aren't you telling me about this job? But they were so worried that I couldn't live in this area. And I reassured them that I would much rather live in the country and drive to the city than to live in the city and have to drive to the country to get away. Tell me more about kind of riffing off the conversation earlier. Um, I really want to talk about the why, the why world, why now, but the mm. why now. Is there anything going on in the world, or can you pick something going on in the world that makes the why world right now so critical? I've, I've been watching the Ken Burns documentary of Vietnam, and you know, you watch this time in American history when there was so much political and civil unrest. And then you turn on, off a documentary and you turn on the news. And it's, it's very surreal. It almost brings the mind to a complete stop that you're watching history repeat itself. So when NFL players are taking a knee and everybody's in an uproar over this, and you just finished watching a documentary where people were in an uproar over this. And it, it, it becomes more obvious than ever that there are divisive forces in society. That are, that are attempting to break people apart. The conversation is incredibly important, and I think that it's something that um, needs to take place. And it, it brings me back to the Maya Angelou poem, um, where we are, are more alike, my friends, than unalike. And I think that that needs to be talked about more and more often until it drowns out 
the divisive voices. And when you're talking about some of these divisions, are you kind of, I'm assuming one of them might be this rural-urban divide. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So talking about that a little bit more, we just had Bob in here. It's, he's head of the Urban Studies Program mm-hmm. at the University of Seattle. Mm-hmm. So what is your take on the urban-rural divide? What I'm really hoping you'll kind of take the angle of is it's about collaboration. And that's really what we're, we're looking to kind of get out of this. I don't know that we've made it that far in today's yeah. discussion, but yeah. did that come up at all in your at your table, or what is your opinion on that? It's, uh, it's ironic to me that if you look, and I'm just going to stereotype here, but if you look at an urban area, and if you look at the urban coffee shop, and if you go and find uh, you know, a coffee shop in a downtown metropolitan area on the weekend that's let's, uh, characterized as being populated with hipsters, and if I go down to Brock, Nebraska, and stop by the community building at seven o'clock in the morning, and it's populated with farmers having coffee and sharing conversation, I mean, there's really not much difference between how people socialize and and what they talk about. So, I think it would be it would be wonderful to get these two groups together and 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 have that conversation. And I, you know, I, like I said, I don't think that we're going to find that much different between an urban area and a rural area. I think, you know, we, people talk about the same things. People talk about values. People talk about politics, and I think there's a lot of commonality there. Um, talk about strategic foresight. So this was one of the questions. What was your perspective on what just defining what strategic foresight is? I referenced Simon Sinek's the why, and I think that if you have, if you're firmly grounded in your why then you can handle any, any challenges that are going to come at you. So the idea of a strategic foresight, we can't, we have no way of predicting what things are going to look at 10 years from now. Um, I have a five-year-old son, and if you were to ask me, well, what's, what's his school going to look like? What, you know, what's he going to be doing in, in 10 years? I, I have no idea to even guess, to even guess that. I think, you know, his career is probably going to be something that's not even been created yet. You know, we have no way of knowing. So the idea then is to put yourself in a position where you can readily adapt to these changes that are going to come about. And as I mentioned earlier, if you, if you know what your why is, then I think that's going to be taking care of itself. So, you know, the, the strategic part of that is just to remain open. Um, what, what partnerships do you think exist now that are kind of creative or could be created in the future to help kind of drive some of these rural, op- what we see as potential rural opportunities for it, whether that's from a social or economic education mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. your area of expertise, you know, what are some partnerships that are, could be kind of sexy? Sexy. <laughs> that's a better word. <laughs> I, I, I believe that, for example, I work in the state college system. Um, I think the boundaries and competitiveness between the state college system and the university system just needs to go away. Uh, we need to have a free exchange of information. We need to um, share students. I mean, there needs to be some type of an exchange system where, um, like a study abroad, if a student wants to come from a state college and, and spend a semester at UNL, they could, should be able to do that. If a student at UNL wants to go to a state college, they should be able to do that freely and without penalty. Um, I also, from my own background, uh, think that we need to have more of an open conversation with public health and how that affects both urban and rural areas. Um, 
And then if, if you look at the domains of wellness, individual wellness, so occupational, spiritual, um, environmental, physical, mental, all these things, if one of those areas is not well, then it filters over into everything else. So I, I believe the same thing goes with the society. So we need to have a rural area that's occupationally well, um, spiritually well, whatever that looks like. Um, we need to have good physical programs for those individuals where they're physically well. So we need to look at just an all-encompassing type of approach to a community versus being in this, this silo where this person here is only concerned with the economic piece of rural Nebraska while this person over here is concerned with the, you know, the, the public health piece of rural Nebraska. So the, the partnerships that are created um, in the communities between the university, between the state college system are something that can help address that. So, fellows program, your charge going forward, did you feel like there was any sort of consensus? Did you feel a consensus of, of energy or, or themes um, from your fellow fellows um, of how to carry that program forward? I think I heard a, a resounding call for more collaboration and more opportunities like this. I, I know that, um, I know it's difficult given the, the state of the state right now, that RFI can't have a conference every six months or three months or get together every three months or an event like this every three months. Um, but I, I met, everybody today wants to collaborate more. They want to take this further and go on to the next step or the next level. Uh, and I think that that's something that, that needs to happen. Okay, did I say last question? No. Okay. It wasn't. No, go for it. Okay. I'm going to ask one more. Okay. Um, and I might have asked this already, but so give me, I am, um, I am, yeah, let's just go with Tim. No, I'm Mark Zuckerberg. Tell me uh, a Facebook and tell me why he should care. Why about why? rural. Why? Because these are the people that he's connecting. In an, in an urban area, you know, it's, it's densely populated. Um, the rural parts of the country are the ones that are relying upon him for the news that they get, for the friends that they make and the friends that they keep. I think he has a great responsibility on his shoulders to make sure that his outlet is providing a safe and constructive medium for people to share information. So I think he has to, he's obligated, morally obligated, to care about rural areas. We just need intros. Can you just say your name, job title, kind of why you're here today, and we'll just do it twice? Sure. Yeah. To, to Caitlin again? Yeah, okay. I'm Dr. Kyle Ryan. I'm a professor of kinesiology at Peru State College, and I am a fellow at the Rural Futures Institute. Say it with a touch more smile. <laughs> I don't do smiles. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Way more serious. Okay. I will do it way more serious. I was way too happy on that, that was, one. You were way okay. too happy. Can you bring it back? Okay. I'm Dr. Kyle Ryan. I'm a professor of kinesiology at Peru State College, and I'm a Rural Futures Institute fellow. What has given you the most energy? What is a thought or an idea or a concept that you've heard this morning that really inspired you or made you think? Sure, I think one of the things that has given me the most energy today is the fact that we're all together in the same room thinking about the same thing. 
Um, I think it's really unique to bring all of us uh, from all different parts of the state, from all different disciplines together to talk about one thing. And that one thing is rural communities. And how do we make them better, more vibrant, healthier, sustainable, great places for people to live, work, and play? Tell me, what are some of the themes that you've heard um, to, to, as means to this end? What, are, what is standing out to you? Sure, I think I heard this morning a lot of discussion about how do we integrate people into communities, particularly those people who are coming from outside the community, whether they be newcomers, immigrants, refugees, people who are moving back uh, to their hometown. How do we get, how do we grow a table where everybody feels like they have a place and that it's an inclusive process where they can contribute to the greater good? Great, and then how do you feel like the fellows, what, are, what do you feel like the has there been any consensus that you feel that the fellows need to bring forward or what they want? I don't know that we got consensus on any of that. Do you feel like there were any, <laughs> any main theme, you know, maybe kind of some high points? Others have said just that we need more fellows. Yeah. Um, we need um, Ge more geographically more dispersed. Yep. Yep. You can kind of talk about that. Sure. More consistent and frequent conversations. Yeah. So I think some of the things that we need are to have more in-person gatherings where we have this chance to have FaceTime. As we talked about this morning, we're trying to create a, a rural communities that are high touch and high tech. Um, and I think sometimes we focus a lot of our attention on the high tech and we have forgotten a little bit about the high touch. So I think getting all of the fellows together uh, more frequently is really important. And even having some of those online discussions like we had earlier during the summer with Sean, uh, kind of like learning communities or communities of practice that are talking about specific issues such as healthcare or economic development or entrepreneurship. I think those types of conversations are what helps us to move the needle uh, forward and, and help think through strategies that might be useful for communities. And what do you think, um, can you, uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot with your pitch yeah. for you know, tech CEO, whoever, why rural? Why do, why do we need to focus on rural? Mm -hmm. Why does the RFI need to exist? <laughs> um, type of question and, and why now? Yeah. So the question of why rural, why now? Here's what I would say. That I really believe in the power of rural places. I believe in communities. I believe that communities have talents and skills and assets and every person in every community has these talents, skills and assets to share. If we can leverage all of those talents and assets and skills, what a great community, what a difference we can make. So by creating more inclusive processes, where we're integrating immigrants or newcomers and people moving back into the community, we can create a much greater uh, society where people feel valued, where there's opportunity, and where we really are making a difference to humankind. We're providing the food that's on everybody's table. We're providing the water that people drink, and we are at the pinnacle of where innovation can be possible. Um, and then talk to me about your, kind of getting into your work and your expertise and trying to figure out a way to bring that into this <laughs> conversation. I mean, where do you think that fits in? Where do you think you fit into this puzzle? Mm -hmm. We've chosen fellows from a variety of different disciplines and backgrounds for a reason. Mm -hmm. So what do you think you're bringing forward? And talk to me like I'm a rural resident of, you're explaining to me why RFI selected you. Mm. So I think RFI selected me to be part of the fellows program 
because I have a unique expertise and that is working with immigrant families and people in communities, having an understanding of where they're coming from and finding ways of, of, to connect people. I think one of the skill sets that I bring to the table is that I'm a pretty good connector. I'm really good at understanding uh, the resources and the landscape in communities and being able to connect the dots between people and resources and building coalitions where we're, we're all you know, working at, uh, towards the same goal together. I think that's one of the assets that I bring to the RFI. Awesome, thank you. Um, and then can you talk to me, what is your definition of strategic foresight? Oh gosh. Lonnie <laughs> <laughs> didn't give her definition. No, no. <laughs> Um, strategic foresight. Uh, so someone at my table, they actually mentioned informed intuition. So it is taking everything that we've learned, that we've read, that we've studied, and our gut feeling and integrating that all together so that we can kind of have a, a roadmap for what could possibly be. I think that is strategic foresight. How does opportunity fit into strategic foresight? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a way to draw you out because I think a lot of the conversation talked about what it is and how we need to think and how we can position, but mm -hmm. it's also a way to, to see opportunity. Right. You know, right. that you might not see if you weren't thinking a little bit farther down the road. Right. Um, Right, I think um, strategic foresight is about uh, looking through different lenses. A lot of times we focus on, you know, what's right in front of me, what's going to happen, you know, a year, maybe three years from now, and we focus on the here and the now, and we fail to see the opportunities that could be realized if we thought 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 years from now when things are dramatically different. It's even hard to imagine what could be, but I think that is exactly the point of strategic foresight is being able to envision possibilities, being able to see opportunities where other people may not. Great. And then can you talk about, um, I had it and I lost it, I had it and I lost it, um, the technology component, and uh -huh. especially related to what you, your work. Mm. How does that, how does that fit? How does technology fit into connecting people within a university or and within a community? Is there a possibility there or is it more high touch? What is that balance? Yeah, well, I think from my own perspective and the work that I do, my work, I think, and I feel is much more high touch. Um, I think within uh, the culture that I, you know, within the Latino culture where I spend a lot of my time working, it really is FaceTime. It takes FaceTime to build that trust, to build those relationships, and you can't do that right off the bat on a computer or some sort of device. Like, you need to be physically present, and people appreciate that. Because people want to know you more than just your role at the university, more than just, you know, you're a faculty member in whatever department. They want to know you. What, what are you about? What do you care about? Why are you here? And they want to know about your family and the things that you, your hobbies, the things you like to do on the weekend. Those are things that take time to establish. And so for me, it's much more about high touch. Great. Can you answer my question? Um, Lexi Slanson, can we get you to say, just introduce yourself, your job title, everything, keep talking to Caitlin. So sure. We'll yeah. have you do it twice. Sure. My name is Athena Ramos. I'm the Community Health Program Manager at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in the College of Public Health. I work in the part, of, no, sorry, let me go back. <laughs> 
Hi, my name is Athena Ramos. I work at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in the College of Public Health in the Center for Reducing Health Disparities. I'm the Community Health Program Manager for, for the center and also an instructor in the Department of Health Promotion. Hi, I'm Athena Ramos. I work at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in the College of Public Health in the Center for Reducing Health Disparities. My title is Community Health Program Manager and I'm an instructor in the Department of Health Promotion. <laughs> over mine. Yeah, sure. Okay, Athena, last question. I guess what does um, what does success look like? Um, I'm gonna ask it two ways. What uh -huh. does success look like for the fellows program of the Rural Futures Institute in your mind? I think success for the Rural Futures Fellows Program is about connecting people throughout the university and throughout our state of Nebraska with ideas, with resources, and with friendships uh, that can grow into, you know, academic partnerships, community partnerships uh, over time. That's not a good answer. But it's okay. It's okay. I don't <laughs> I'm self-judging as yet. we go. <laughs> we haven't totally framed that up yet, but I wanted to see what would come out. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so what does success look like? I mean, what is winning for rural? Oh gosh. I mean, did we pick up a sense of that in the room? Um, not, not, I didn't feel like we got like a really good answer. What I would say, you know, success and what does a win look like for rural communities? It's when all rural communities are vibrant, healthy, and inclusive places. That's what I strive to create in my work every day.